Today's reading is from Genesis chapter 50, verses 22 through 26. So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's house, and Joseph lived 110 years. And Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, the children also of Machir, the son of Manasseh, were born upon Joseph's knees. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath of the sons of Israel, saying, God will visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. The word of the Lord. We've been uh, reading the Bible from this point of view. We're calling it a, the a dismantling orthodoxy. It's uh, selecting texts all throughout the Hebrew Bible in order, this sort of big narrative that looks at how the biblical text both moves towards creating hierarchies and orthodoxies and at the same time moves to dismantle them. The story of the patriarchs in Genesis is one of these sort of double movements on a grand, grand scale. I mean, it starts with chapter 12 and goes through chapter 50. And uh, so what I did last week, I kind of began talking about the end of this arc, telling the story of Joseph. And if you were here last week, thank you for returning for part two. Um, If you missed part one, you can um, find it, I think, on the interweb. So what I'm going to do, I decided this is a big, grand story. I'm just going to tell you the story. And I'm sorry that it's not really a sermon, um, but um, sometimes the Holy Spirit just got to pick up the slack a little bit. Last we left Joseph, he had just been pulled out of the pit that his brothers had thrown him in um, by the Ishmaelites and sold to the Ishmaelites. And um, the Ishmaelites took him to Egypt where they sold him to uh, Potiphar, who was the head of the guard for the pharaoh. And it was a fancy job, and he had a really fancy house, and he just uh, he ran the whole garden. He was a member of the court and everything. And so uh, he bought Joseph to be, to be his slave, basically. And um, Joseph got there, and it said that God was with him, so everything he did succeeded, which was great. I mean, he just whipped that house in shape. He did everything he was supposed to do. And Potiphar was, like, so amazed that he just gave more and more responsibility to Joseph because this guy was fantastic. He worked so hard. Pretty soon, the text says that all that Potiphar did worried about was what he ate, what he literally put in his mouth. Everything else, Joseph took care of. And he was happy. All his property, all his lands, all his business, he took care of it all. And uh, said the only thing he cared about is what he put in his mouth, 
And then the text makes a weird transition where it just states, and he was also comely and pleasant to look at. I think it's a weird transition, but um, so he works really hard, gets everything done, and comely on top of that. Who doesn't like that? And very pleasant to look at. I don't know the difference between comely and pleasant, pleasant to look at, but, but, you know, there's Potiphar's wife. Potiphar is off a lot. I don't know what he does, where he goes. She doesn't either. She's concerned about it, but whatever. Um, she's just lounging around, Potiphar's wife, and here's, here he is, this guy, this Hebrew, working so hard, looking so comely. And so she says, come here. Come into me. And he's like, I can't do that. I, uh, you know, your husband's given me everything, and, and, just, and he's trusted me. You're his wife. I can't do it. So he leaves, you know. And she is after him all the time. I mean, he must really be comely. It's like, he's, she always is. And um, finally, when all the men, it says, are gone, I don't know why that matters, because women wouldn't be credible. I don't know why. That's what it said. She grabs him and says, right now, you know, lie with me. And he says no, and he sort of pulls away from her, but he had this garment on, and she held on to it, and he ran out. This guy gets in trouble with his garments, this Joseph. <laughs> and so then she starts screaming, and uh, people run in, and she's like, what's up? And they're like, he, you know, I told him to lay with me, and then he ran off. And here's proof, I have the garment. The text is very confusing at this point. I don't know if his crime was that he didn't lay with her and that he didn't have his garment was proof she ran off or that it was like sort of accusation that he tried to attack her. The text is unclear. Um, because of the words that are translated, um, when, when uh, Potiphar gets home, the Hebrew that you sent to play with me would not. And when I screamed, he ran off, and here's his garment. Whatever the crime was, it was unacceptable, and uh, Potiphar sends him right to prison, which he was in charge of. He sent him to prison, and he said, you know, you, I'm going to assign you personally to the head of the prison. You work for him. Hey, guess what? He works really hard. He's great. He does everything. Um, and the head of the prison says, like, oh, okay, you can just take care of everything because um, you're so good. And uh, he works really hard in the prison. And then this is, uh, the Pharaoh gets mad. I guess there was some kind of party or something. And things went awry, and you got to find somebody to blame. So he got really mad at his cupbearer. And his baker it was kind of arbitrary. I don't know what it was, a bad, some bad bread, too much wine, whatever it was. He sent his cupbearer and his baker to jail. And um, they both had a dream at the same, on the same night, um, roughly about the same thing. And their dream was, um, well, the first one for the uh, cupbearer was that he saw... He dream. He let's see. What did the cupbearer see?
Um, anyway, he has this dream of, <laughs> there's three things in it, right? There's a lot of dreams in this story, and it's, you know, a lot of chapters long. He has this dream, and um, th- in this dream, there's like three, I don't know what, three flies fly by. That's not it. But, um, and then he has this cup, and uh, he, doesn't know, he doesn't know what it means. And then the baker, the same night, has this dream where he has three baskets, and they're all on his head, and there are different baking stuff in his baskets. And in the third basket, like a crow is eating stuff out of it. And they can't figure out what these dreams are about. And I guess it was important to them to find out. And um, so they're talking to Joseph. And he goes, um, well, it's clear to me. First of all, cupbearers, three whatevers. That means in three days, the king is going to come, the pharaoh is going to come back and restore you. And you'll be handing him a cup again. And so the cupbearer is like, oh, that's, wow, amazing. And then so the baker says, well, what about me? He's like, okay. He tells him, he goes like, three baskets, that's like three days. So in three days, the Pharaoh's going to come and take you out of jail. And um, then the bird eating stuff from the third basket means that on that third day, he's going to um, stick you on a pole and birds will eat your eyes out. So the baker wasn't as happy as the cupbearer with Joseph's skill. But guess what? <laughs> Three days go by, and the pharaoh comes and takes them both out. Cupbearer is super happy. Baker, not as much. And um, restores the cupbearer and sticks the baker on a pole. So everybody is really kind of amazed by this, that how good he is. So the cupbearer is totally restored and... Weeks and weeks and weeks go by, and uh, Joseph's still in jail. And guess what? I think you know this part, right? The Pharaoh has this dream. And he has this dream that by the Nile River, three cows come out of the river, and they are big and fat. And then three other cows come out and stand right next to them, and they're so skinny and thin and meager, the text says. And then the three cows eat The three meager little skinny cows eat the three fat cows. He wakes up, quickly goes back to sleep again, and has another dream. And he sees by the Nile River these three um, heads of grain. They're big and they're plump and they're there. And then he sees three meager, thin, ugly heads of grain. And a wind blows and they all get planted. And the one grows up beautiful stalks of uh, wheat. And the other one grows up all just barely. And then the little, little tiny barely growing ones go and eat the other ones. Then he wakes up. And he brings all his, uh, well, the text has all these different weird names for them, who they are. They're sorcerers, they're soothsayers. He brings all his soothsayers. I don't know if interpreting dream and, and saying sooth is the same thing, but they can't tell him what it is. The rabbis say he calls his necromancers, and um, they can't tell him what it means. And then the cupbearer, who was just having to be handing him a cup, when he, this was going on, said, hey, when I was in jail, this guy told me these dreams, and they came true. You should get him." So they send for Joseph, and he takes him out of jail. His, um, so all his fortunes are um, turned again. The pharaoh tells him the dream, and Joseph says, well, it's clear to me that you will have uh, three years of great um, harvest and 
abundance, and then you will have three years of famine. And you had better uh, store up during those three years, um, or everybody will starve when the famine comes. And the Pharaoh is like really impressed with this and says, well, what should we do? You know, and, and he's like, well, you should get somebody to organize all this and uh, get everything instead of get them to grow things, build barns, put things in the barns, protect them, get a military so they can do that. You need, this is what you need to do. Joseph tells them all that. And then the Pharaoh's like, well, how about you do that? So he's like, yeah, I can totally do that. And he, like he always does, he starts doing everything, getting everything done, and the Pharaoh just can't even believe it. He's like, okay, look, I'm going to make you like, like the Pharaoh. Like the only difference between you and me is that I'm sitting in this throne here. And he gives him his ring and his signet and he, all that. And it's like, everybody will just do whatever you say. So he goes out there and he starts organizing everything and he builds these big barns and he fills them up with everything and he, he does put this military together that's going to guard them all. And he's just, uh, he's just amazing. And so, yeah, then the lean years come. The lean years start to come and people start to go hungry. People start to go hungry, and they, the drought, no, their crops won't grow. So they come to Joseph because he's in charge of this whole, you know, system. And uh, he says, oh, yeah, we got the wheat for your bread. And they buy it from him. And then pretty soon this famine spreads everywhere, all over the world. And everybody hears that in Egypt they have plenty of stores. And so here we are back in Cana, Joseph's family. Of course, they think he's all dead because when they came back to get him out of the pit, he wasn't there. They, and they thought wild animals ate him. Um, and so they are hungry too. And Jacob says, go, my sons. He's got 11 of them left. And um, go to Egypt and take all this silver and buy us some bread. So he says, wait, wait a minute, Benjamin, you are my youngest one and I've already lost your brother so you stay here so those 10 go off and they go and they go before the dude in charge of getting the um, provisions and it's Joseph and he recognizes them as his brothers but they don't recognize him because he's you know in charge of Egypt and they never expected that. And so they said, oh, we're here, you know, to buy some silver. I mean, some bread with our silver. And he's like, no, you're not. You're spies. And they're like, we're not. Why do you think we're not spies? And they're like, you are totally spies. You came in here to check out where our stuff is. And uh, we're gonna, I'm just going to throw you all in jail. And they're like, no, please don't. Because we have, you know, there's, we, we're just good people. We're 12 sons of a good man in Canaan. You know, one of them's no longer with us. The other one's back at home. And so Joseph said, okay, go back and bring me those, um, that youngest son, and I will know that you're not lying to me and that you're not spies. So he says, and, and I'm going to send you back with some provisions. So he tells his servant, fill up their bag with all these foods so that, to hold them over, and also the silver they pay us with, sneak that back in their bags. And so he sends them off. And then they get home, and they're like, hey, Dad, Jacob, look at all this food we got. And they open it up, and they see that silver there, and they're like, oh, no. They're going to think that we stole this silver. We took it back. We swear we gave it to them. 
And the dad's freaked out too. He's like, okay, look, go back and bring him twice that silver. And uh, just tell him it was a mistake, and here's double that, and we didn't mean any harm. And you better bring, as much as I hate to have you bring this, you know, youngest child of mine with you, you better do that, otherwise we're going to be in big trouble. So they go back there, and they come back, and they go before him, and he, um, Joseph sees them. Of course, they don't recognize him, but he recognizes them. And when he sees Benjamin there, he just kind of loses it. You know, he turns around and starts crying because this, this is his brother. They both have the same mother, um, the only two. Uh, Jacob had a lot of wives. Um, so he uh, decides, he tells his servant, he's like, you go kill an animal, slaughter an animal. We're going to have a big feast, and I'm going to bring him to my house, and we'll have a big feast. So the servant goes and gets him and says, I'm going to take you to Joseph's house. And they, they're really freaking out. And so they go to the house, and Joseph meets them at the door, and they're like, look, with this silver thing, I swear we did not, we, I don't know what happened. And uh, he's just like, don't worry about it. If there's silver was still in your bag, your God must have put it in there, because I got the silver you paid me. I want you to come to my house, and I want you to eat. So they come, and they sit down, and uh, they have this huge meal, and it's super fun, and the Benjamin, the youngest boy, he gets his portions like five times more. And they drink. And the text is they get drunk. And um, then the next morning, they're getting ready to go back with their all this food, the provisions they bought. And Jacob, uh, Joseph says, hey, load up their bags with everything that they can hold. Give them their silver back. And then you take my silver cup and put it in that youngest one, Benjamin's bag. So the servant does it. So loads them all up, they say their goodbyes, and they head out. And while they're heading out, now Joseph says, now take my army, go hunt them down, and check out their bags, because I think they stole something from me. He rides, he gets them, he stops them, they're like, what? And he's like, uh, I think you stole something, how could you do that? He was such a great host, he gave you everything, he had a good meal, and then you're stealing stuff from him, and even his special cup. And they're like, we didn't do that, if we did that, we'll be your slaves forever, you can even kill us if you want. And then um, they said, okay, so they checked everybody's bag, and lo and behold, they all had their silver, and in Benjamin's bag was this cup. They said, that's it, you know, back to see Joseph. And he's like, what, how could you steal from me? How could you do this? And now you're all going to have to be my slaves. You're gonna have to, I'm going to have to kill you. And they're like, we, we, our dad will freak out. If we can't do that, he, well, you, he would lose his son, and we already lost one. And, and, and then... Well, Joseph just can't even do it anymore. He loses it. He starts crying. He's just like, I, what is, I, I'm your brother Joseph. And they're like, what? And Because um, they can't believe it. And um, he's like, no, I am. Come closer, come closer. And they're a little bit afraid. But it's like, look, it's me, remember? And I know you threw me in the pit and everything like that. And they felt really bad. And, um, and there's like, but look, I'm alive. And they're like, we, man, we are so sorry. We didn't know it was going to come to that. And he said, look. I'm not here because of what you did. I'm here because God brought me here. And if God wouldn't have brought me here, you would have all starved to death. Because then I wouldn't have become the most powerful person in all of Egypt. And um, then you would not have anything to eat. So they're like, oh, cool. Um, then he's like, okay, now go back and tell our dad this and um, bring him all this stuff. And then Pharaoh hears about this heartwarming story. It's all over. All over Egypt. They're all like, this is amazing. And so Pharaoh says, take, here, 
you take all these donkeys, you take everything, bring all this stuff back, get your dad, tell him that I'm going to give him land back here in Egypt and he should move back here and he can just leave all this stuff behind because I'm going to get him new, better Egyptian stuff and, um, you know, the Egyptian cotton, the 50 thread count or whatever. It's like, it's all, I'm going to give you all that stuff, come back. And so they go do it and the dad can't believe it and they move back there and, uh, they, they have the reunion. He can't believe it's his, all his sons are back together again. And like he thought his son was dead. And he's the most powerful man in the world practically. So it's a, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. So then um, the, the, gets, the, the drought gets worse. And pretty soon everybody, they're, you know, always coming still buying bread from, from uh, Joseph and the system he set up. And then... They all run out of money, and so they come to Joseph, and they're like, we're still starving, and, you know, a couple years enough for this drought you told us about, and he's like, okay, bring me your livestock, and so they do that, and he gives them bread and stuff like that, and they do that for a year, and then after that year, there's no more livestock. Uh, The Pharaoh owns it all, and all the money, and they say, we have no more livestock, but we're still super hungry, and so they had another year, and he's like, what do you got? And they're like, we have our, our skin and bones and our farms. And so Joseph's like, all right, that'll do. And so he says, you um, sign over all your land to me, and I'll give you some seeds, and you'll be my slaves on the land, and uh, you will make a law that says always you have to give a fifth of this land to me, and then use the rest to feed your family and buy seeds and maintain and everything like that. They're like, okay. And they, they get bread. And uh, the text says that this land is, this law is still um, in effect today. Which, you know, I don't know. We must have meant it lasted a long time. So um, here it is, this, uh, this great patriarch. Well, I'm going to finish telling the story. Um, so all the land is owned by the Pharaoh. Everybody's a slave for Pharaoh. They, all the money, everything belongs to the Pharaoh because of this great bureaucracy that Joseph set up. And um, eventually, Joseph's dad, Jacob, dies and says, you must go bury me back in Israel, back in uh, Cana. And he, Joseph, brings his bones back there and buries them with the other patriarchs. Then eventually, Joseph dies himself. And as he's dying, he said, you know, when God comes and takes you back out of this land, bring my bones. And he dies. And they put him in a coffin and leave him in Egypt. That's the end of the story. It's a big, grand narrative. It's a gigantic, sweeping narrative. Um, I would say you should write a book about it, but... Um, yeah, it's crazy. Like... This ark starts out with God calling Abraham and says, just come out and come to this place where I'm going to show you. Like, completely out into the desert and just trust me. This relationship between God and Abraham. And they are talking all the time. They walk together. He comes to visit. And it ends with Joseph 
who it seems like for all intents and purposes, God never, God is, this is the only patriarch that God never talks to. And Joseph seems to uh, make references to God in general, but it seems more like this Egyptian God, since he had his dad mummified when he died and he was buried there. So it's sort of like this civil God, it seems like. So there's this weird travel from this personal God who calls out Abraham to wander in the desert, and this grand narrative ends up with, what, the greatest bureaucrat? who pays homage maybe to this civil god in the end? Where does it, I don't know, where does this story, how this story seems like, I don't know if this is a success story about going from nothing to everything, or if it's a story of leaving God behind or God disappearing. Because you know all what happens after that. Um, they remain in Egypt, God doesn't come back to get him for a while. So they're there for like 400 years. Eventually, there's a new pharaoh. He doesn't remember Joseph. And he, they're like, look at all these Hebrews. We should uh, make them slaves so they don't, um, you know, take over our country. It's some scare, hate thing, and they make them slaves. And so their God is forgotten and they're slaves in Egypt. So I don't know if this is a success story or a failure story, but that's how this narrative ends. I wonder, like, what happens to God when the story forgets about God? Or where does God go? Where does God go for those 400 years before God hears the cry of the people? If we forget about God... Does God cease to exist? Does God go somewhere else? Does it even matter? I mean, it seems like God certainly could act like God anytime God wants to without us having to think of God or want God. Does God just show up when we need God? I said this to a pastor friend of mine, and um, she said that that had not been her experience. God doesn't show up when you need God, mostly. We say in our grand narrative, well, let's say it ends here in this room, in the presence of God, right? God is here with us. And we say that God is present in this meal. Can you believe that? <laughs> 